0: Going on, guys. Welcome to or welcome back to Consuming Crime. It's your host Jules here. Here I am, recording again. i Feel like I got that consistency going, so I'm gonna hit you with another episode. This is again coming from Homicide Hunter with Joe Kenda. this show can be watched on Discovery Plus. That's where I watched it. Today's episode is called "The Shot Through the Heart," which matches the episode in the series. And just in case you guys didn't see it on Instagram, uh, I wanted to say thank you to the people that have continued to support me during this past year's hiatus and i just thank you thank you so much and let me know if there's anything i can do better or do not so much of as and yeah let's get started on september 27th 1988 on the eastern side of colorado springs 15 year old chuck limbrick is walking after school and meets up with his friend christopher morrow these two were very close when chuck's family moved up north chris would take the bus up to go visit him The boys get home on Potter Drive at around 4 o'clock and notice something out of the ordinary. The door had been locked, and it normally wasn't. I feel like it should be the opposite, like the door was unlocked and it normally was, but I guess that's not the case. Chuck realized he did not have his key and he had lost it. He remembered that his neighbor had a spare key for their house. Wow, so they were were pretty well known in the neighborhood, because I know my neighbors, but I don't know about having my key. Actually, maybe this one over here, but maybe them too okay I guess I'm too trusting too. this neighbor actually kept keys for the neighborhood kids in case they ever got locked out (laughs) so the neighbor is just collecting a bunch of keys for these okay and these are 14 year olds right 15 year olds okay so their neighbor's name is Bill Bill politely greets the boys and gives Chuck the spare key to his home while Chuck goes to try out the key Chris stays behind and talks with Bill so they're just like chatting having a normal conversation And then a few minutes go by and chuck starts yelling loud and what i would imagine happened and i don't know if the documentary said this but it's very possible that they knocked and nobody answered the door at this point we don't know who chuck lives with both his parents one of his parents none of his parents um so yeah now chuck's yelling and chris and bill rush over to see what the hell is going on bill makes his way towards the scream which was through the front door and downstairs this is where he found betty limbrick I'm I'm assuming this is Chuck's mom. She was on the floor in a pool of her own blood with what looked like a single gunshot wound to the head. This episode's called Shot Through the Heart. So, oh, I remember why they called it that. We'll get to that later. He gets the boys back upstairs and calls 911 immediately. All the while, Chuck starts to process what he just saw. And if if this is his mother, I mean, that's gotta be the most traumatic Thing you could possibly see at that age. it's interesting because i had just gone to a comedy show where the comedian said there's nothing in this world worse than losing your mom. first responder don chagnon, i think i'm saying that right, arrives on the scene. he moves forward with extreme caution. He checks the interior of the home to make sure no one else is home and once he confirms this he moves down to where bill reported the body was that's true he would have to they would all have to be careful because we don't know when she was shot we don't know if that person's still in the home where the gun is all this stuff's still a mystery he does not see any signs of life and so he pronounces her dead and that is when lieutenant Jokenda gets called onto the scene because now it is officially a murder scene minutes later Lieutenant Kenda arrives at 520 Potter Drive to start the investigation. He starts with the first responder, Officer Chagnon. He tells him what he saw. A woman lying face down in a pool of her own blood with a single gunshot wound through her head. And a casing was also found nearby. He's thinking off the bat, this looks like a suicide. That's, That's a huge, huge jump. Especially if she's lying face flat. Because she would have had to shoot herself through the back of her head. Like kind of in like a backwards way. So officer chagnon was thinking this was a suicide but i was like lieutenant kenda like you should know better than that but he's not the one that thinks that so let's talk about the victim her name was betty Jean limbrick she was 42 years old and she was very well liked in the neighborhood she did charity work worked hard for her church and an amazing mother and wife oh shoot where's her husband you know what they say about those husbands most of her kids were grown and had moved out of the house, all but 15-year-old Chuck. She was a bus driver for District 11, and she drove the kids to school in the mornings and returned them to their homes in the afternoon. Depending on if those kids got to school that day or not is when we can say what time she was shot. For context, this this documentary or this episode I had also taken notes on a year ago, so I'm reading from the notes that I took a year ago, so this is not super fresh in my mind, but it is coming back to me the more that I read. Her schedule allowed her to have some time at home in the middle of the day for a couple of hours. Lieutenant Kenda determined that she had only been home for a few minutes before her death had occurred, and this would be unusual timing if it was a suicide. How did he know it was within a few minutes though? He goes to examine her body and there was already six to eight pints of blood on the floor. And there are only about nine pints of blood in the average female he needs to find the high velocity blood spatter this will give him an idea of where and how she was positioned when she was shot so he ends up finding this on a panel near her body he is also able to tell this was a close contact gunshot less than an inch from her temple so then my next question would be is there anything missing was this a robbery there is another gunshot wound from the back of her hand by the joint of her middle finger so it's she was probably trying to like protect herself from getting shot so she saw it coming is what it seems like he's thinking she was first shot in the hand collapsed from the pain and then was shot in the head they were able to determine that the gun casings belong to a .357 magnum and i don't know if you say .357 or 357. i i'm not a gun person i can't say but if you're on video i'll put a picture right here of what it is now they know for sure this was a murder there was no gun and she was shot twice well you should have known it was murder by her laying face down who shoots themselves and then falls face down i'm not a suicide expert but it doesn't sound right officer Shagnon shows lieutenant kenda upstairs where he had found a purse most likely betty's all of the zippers had been opened her id was there and so were her credit cards but no cash She could also just, like, not be the type to carry cash. Um, And also, like, just stealing cash from her? Like, this this was personal. Come on, guys. Maybe she got home while people were trying to rob the home and they shot her out of panic. There were signs of forced entry to the back of the home. One of the windows had been forced open. There were also footprints in the yard from where the window had been opened. And my theory so far is correct. And I know you guys think that I know the ending because I already watched it but I'm actually speaking from what I was going through while watching the documentary because I'm reading the little notes I have for myself but you will be surprised how this case ends trust me when looking further they discovered her car was missing so this should be good because there's got to be all types of DNA all types of evidence once they find the car but we got to find the car Lieutenant Kenda puts out an alert to surrounding counties with the car description and the plate number. While the search goes on for the missing car, detectives want to talk to Betty's son, Chuck, who, like, he must be so traumatized. I feel like they shouldn't even maybe leave him alone for a second. I don't know. I don't know how 15 year olds process trauma. From what they can gather, he was polite, artistic, and a popular young man. He was running for student body counsel, loved music, and he was really close with his mom. Detectives find Chuck over at his neighbor Bill's house, where Bill and Chris are keeping him company trying to console him. Lieutenant Kenda asks Chuck what happened, and shortly into his account, he gets really emotional. And at this point, Lieutenant Kenda decides not to push him any further. He had already lost his mother, and this was just too much. I agree. He turns over to Chris and asks him what happened from his point of view. Chris tells him the same thing we went over in the beginning, nothing telling about his version of events. Lastly, detectives pull aside Bill. What do you know about Betty? Did she have any enemies? Was she fighting with anyone recently? Not to mention, wait a minute, Bill, wait a minute, when did you get home? Did you not hear this gunshot? That's what I want to know. Bill says, no, he doesn't know of any enemy in the world that Betty would have and everybody loves Betty. Lieutenant Kenda brings to light this pattern of people not having any enemies, and he says, people tend to have secret lives, and this might be the case here. You might think that someone's very well-liked, very popular, and, like, there's always somebody that doesn't like somebody. Like, there's no such thing as one person that exists, and, like, everybody likes that person. It just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. When digging further, detectives find out there were rumors that Betty might have been having an affair. T. Oh my gosh okay now now I'm like back to the husband was it bill and the husband like we gotta we gotta figure this out the husband is always an immediate suspect but with this new information detectives really want to talk to him now so where is he then we haven't even talked about that they also find out that prior to this murder Chuck senior so the dad or the husband had told the neighbor he wanted to buy his wife a gun for protection. I mean, I feel like that makes sense because if the wife is home alone a lot, that's interesting. Lieutenant Kenda is going through a whirlwind of possibilities. Did he shoot his wife and make it look like a robbery? Did he take the gun with him wherever he was? Was he angry with her over the rumors around the neighborhood? The only way to find out is to talk to him, figure out where he is detectives do not take long finding him. he is 800 miles away. is he running? he was a truck driver and had been out of state on the job and this alibi is airtight and they i mean truck drivers i think they like correct me if i'm wrong in the comments but don't they like track you and if you're not on time to certain places like they'll they'll like dock you right? being 800 miles away how long does it take someone to drive 800 miles? okay 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 so i typed in how long does it take to drive 800 miles in a big rig which is what i call those trucks it's 13 hours and 20 minutes and that's if they're going 60 miles an hour so yeah is, there's no way but he still felt the need to buy her a gun for protection so i wonder if he if it really was like my wife's home alone a lot or if it was like he he knows somebody that might want to hurt her shortly after this discovery detectives called lieutenant kenda with another discovery they found the car It was in a shopping center parking lot just two miles from the car scene. It's not far at all. Why would they take it and abandon it unless they're trying to get rid of evidence that would somehow have been in the car first? I bet you the gun's in the car. He arrives at the scene where the car was found, and it was spotless. No blood transfer, no items left behind, nothing. And what strikes him as strange is the proximity to the crime scene. Why would someone steal a car? just to take it two miles down the road. Did it run out of gas, maybe? Detectives go on a mission to try to find a patron of the shopping center that might have seen who parked the car, and this is not an easy task. It's definitely not. This is a 3,000 car parking lot, yeah. Good luck with that. Might as well, honestly, at that point, check the cameras. Some people are saying the car has been there for days. Others are saying it's only been a few hours and there's too many different answers for any of them to be considered reliable. I wouldn't know i could have just watched a car park go into a store buy my things come out of the store and already might be able to tell you the color if it's like blue or red but anything or pink or purple or rainbow but like anything else i'm not gonna no way honestly i wouldn't even answer the question that's how unsure i would be and i wouldn't want to like mislead detectives anyway i'm talking too much lieutenant kenda hits the reset button let's go back to the crime scene did we talk to everyone in the neighborhood he sends his team back out to see if they can round up any potential witnesses they get back to him with someone that might know something 14 year old nikki she lives across the street from the limbrick home somebody had to have heard this gunshot oh yeah i don't even think you can put a silencer on these things it's a really small gun compared to the last episode at least lieutenant kenda heads over to speak with her she tells him that she did see betty's car driving down their street that day she couldn't see who was driving but chris was in the passenger seat i remember chris is chuck's friend and she knows him nikki is saying that she knows chris to be a troublemaker this is the part of the documentary that i was like there is no way this dude's friend killed his mom. officers run a background on him and they find out that he is more than just a troublemaker. he even has a history of stealing cars and he's also a snitch. so if it wasn't him he's gonna rat on who did do it. the question now is with this background is he also capable of violence let alone murder the first thing they want to do is speak to his parents chris's parents so they go to their residence mrs morrow answers the door and mr morrow is also home lieutenant kenda asks him if he owns a gun and he says yes but looks very confused lieutenant kenda says okay you own a gun can you go grab it i want to see it dad's like okay i'll go grab it and uh guess what guys he can't find it that's interesting, maybe he misplaced it. Might not even be the same gun. He says, what kind of gun is it? He said, a Smith and Wesson model 19, six inch barrel, three point, no, point .3, listen, I don't know. .357 Magnum revolver. I don't know what's with all the points and the decimals and the numbers. It's kind of starting to remind me of statistics class. It's the same type of gun that was used in the murder. There you go. While they can't match the gun to the casing without the physical gun, they know that this gun could very well be the one that was used. The parents start to freak out a little bit. Do they start saying, do you think our son was involved? What do you think he did? Like they're not defending him. They're just trying to like, I mean, I can imagine like your kid's a little bit of a troublemaker stealing cars and imagining. Well, actually, you know what? Come to think of it. I don't think that Lieutenant Kenda told these two. That there had been a murder. So, yeah, I'd be scared too. Meanwhile, Chris walks into the room now. Lieutenant Kenda pulls him aside, and Chris is not too pleased about this. He seems frustrated and repeats his story. He said, We got to Chuck's house, the door was locked, went to the neighbors, heard a scream, and then you were there. And he keeps going with that same story. Lieutenant Kenda takes a look at his shoes the shoes on chris's feet and tries to recall back to the footprints he needs a way to make him nervous make some sort of guilt come out because he does see on the record that he's been a snitch before he asks him for his shoe and chris does not want to give him his shoe he tells him you hand me that shoe or i will take it and he must have been very aggressive back in his day because chris just gives him the shoe he tells him you know there were footprints on the scene by the window that had been broken into with the same kind of tread on these shoes right chris starts getting nervous he says well lots of people have those shoes and lieutenant kenda says yeah but so do you we're gonna have to like put these side by side but why would chuck's friend man when he finds out i'm not saying he did it we don't know yet but geez like what could I'm almost thinking from my perspective, because I have a son, like, when he grows up, what could I possibly do to one of his little friends to, like, piss them off that much? He asks him, what do you think should happen to someone who kills someone else in cold blood? And what about if that person was a kid? What should happen to them then? So now he's really honing in, like, this dude did something to this poor woman. Chris gets quiet, and then he starts to shake nervously lieutenant kenda tells him tell me the truth i know when you're lying it's at this point chris reveals a shocking piece of information you guys you guys listen because i remember now what happened in this case and like who did it just listen to this he says about a month ago chuck came to me and said he wanted to run away chuck the son of the mother that was killed he said he wanted to run away and go to canada He just wanted to get away from town. He was sick of being at home. I told him, you know what? I'll go with you, dude. I just got in trouble over this car stealing thing and my parents are on my ass. Yeah, they're on your ass. You're 15 years old. They should be on your ass. The day comes and he calls me and asks me to bring protection. (laughs) I remember where this story went and I'm getting mad. So I said, like, what? And he says, a gun. Do you have a gun? And he goes, well, my dad has one. Bring it. I go into my dad's closet and take the gun that's there. We take my dad's car and start heading up north. But not too far into the trip, we see his mom driving the Buick on the way home. Chuck says we have to beat her home. He does not say why, but he says we need to do it. I'm almost like not believing this. Like, I'm really like, I'm in denial at this point. So they do. They beat her home. They sneak in through the back window where the screen was missing, make their way downstairs, and that's when Chuck asked me for the gun, so I give it to him. I go into another room, and Chuck is still there, like, it almost seemed like he was waiting for his mom to get home. She sees him downstairs, and she goes down to check on him. You guys, I'm going to cry. I'm like, this better be a lie. That's when I heard the gunshots. Betty told him that she loved him and there was nothing after that hold on <sighs> when you're a mother or a parent specifically in the situation when you're a mother and you just love your child so much that there is literally nothing in this world they can do that will ever make you not love them the fact that this woman whatever, the, whatever he thinks she did wrong as a mom she still loved him despite the fact that she knew what he was about to do and there is that that type of like mother's love that I feel so many don't deserve, and, but they have it, but they have it, you know? Sorry, I'm like, I'm a mom and like that stuff like that, like anything with children or with mothers like really gets me. So I'm going to cut as much of that out as I can, but holy crap. Um, this could all not be true, by the way. Chris could still be lying. Hang on with me, guys. Chris comes out and sees Betty on the floor. He is... Totally overcome with fear. Like, he didn't know Chuck was gonna do this because he, in his mind, he was thinking Chuck wanted the gun for protection. But, like, for him to, they were already on their way to Canada. So, my question is why? Why, like, why come back home and just kill, like, what the? Okay, I'm gonna keep reading. Hopefully, there's an answer that I wrote down somewhere. Chuck wants to put her body into a bag and dump her, which is, again, on Chris's account. But Chris convinces him to change course. People heard the gunshots so they needed something else. So Chuck says, let's make it look like a burglary. And that's where the stolen money comes in. Oh my gosh. They take her car keys and they felt the need to get rid of her car. They take her car keys because they felt the need to get rid of the car too. Then they come up with the story. Chuck says, I'll throw my keys in a field somewhere so we can use the neighbor as a witness. I can pretend we got locked out. And that we found her there. Wait, whose idea was this? Okay. Like, so this was obviously this I mean obvi- obviously it was planned. He tells officers the why. I just got like a glimpse of what I wrote and I'm still pissed. Cause there 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 is no good reason. I'm sorry. There's no there's no good reason to to kill your parents besides like maybe like the Menendez murders, which we'll get into that one of these days, but he said chuck was tired of having rules he was tired of getting grounded and he just wanted to be free he said if she didn't die she would just find them and make them stay and they wouldn't be able to run away with her alive you're an asshole dude i mean not that he's listening to this but you're just an asshole so they asked chris about the gun where is it and they had both decided to leave it in a cardboard box at the school tucked away somewhere officers make their way to the school and find the gun exactly where chris said it was They determined later that chuck's fingerprints were the only ones on the gun so his story for the most part is true that he did shoot his mom they go find chuck over at his mother's sister's house mother over at his mother's sister you know we didn't really talk to the husband a whole lot i would have liked to get his take on it like would he have guessed that his son would do such a thing oh okay yeah so they find chuck over at his mom's so his aunt's house His father is still making his way home from work. I don't think they would have told him over the phone. I don't think that's like protocol to say something over the phone. That, you know, your wife was murdered. They take his shoes and socks off, and in one of his socks is $114. This is assumed to be the money that he took from his mom's purse. And that also aligns with the story that Chris told. They place him under arrest and book him. Christopher Morrow is given eight years in prison as an accessory, and Chuck, aka Charles Jr. Limbrick, was given life in prison for the first degree murder of his mother betty he is the youngest in colorado history to receive a life sentence i'm gonna give you guys a little update it looks like charles Lindbergh, who was sentenced to life in prison as a 15 year old for killing his mother was freed this report was written on december 2nd 2017 And he was released from prison about six years before this so 2011 and he was identified as the man who died in a rollover crash Thursday night east of Calhoun wow yeah I'm not gonna read more into this if you guys are curious um, go ahead and look up Charles jr. Limbrick it's crazy because when you look up the victim like the person that killed them always comes first so it looks like she was born in 1946 passed away in 1988 age 42 and if you want to leave her a flower, go to findagrave.com, and she is under Betty Jean Rockmore Limbrick. And may you rest in peace. Um, I'm sure you were a great mom. I'm positive. You were a great mom, especially if those really were your last words. That one made me really sad. Like really, really. I mean, they all are are sad, but I think they hit closer to home when it involves like a mother or a son, which technically most of them involve someone's mom or someone's son someone's daughter someone's father um but all right thank you for consuming crime with me today i hope you enjoyed today's episode uh if you have any questions comments concerns let me know um and again thank you for the support you guys are fucking awesome (laughs)